Welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. I'm so glad that you're with us tonight, and I'm praying that uh, your week is going well. We want to challenge you to continue to pray for the events around the world, Ukraine especially, and the situation over there, but also keep in prayer our uh, Russian saints and friends that are there that really have no um, interest in this war, and so they're suffering as well in many cases. Uh, we just know that God is in control, and no matter what man desires, God is able to turn around. And so we want to challenge you to continue to pray for that. Looking forward to great things in the work of the Lord here at Spirit of Grace Church, and we're thankful that you've joined us here tonight. I am reading from the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read just verse 11 and 12. And I, I, my, my thinking is, uh, is still in the, the river that I've been speaking on the last couple of Sundays about grace. And grace is a very misunderstood term. It's a very misunderstood gift that God gives us. And I want to approach grace a little bit differently tonight and let you know that discipline comes by grace. I know you use the word discipline and our ears turn off and we don't want to hear that. But I challenge you to pay attention tonight and allow God to speak to you because it's by his grace that he disciplines us and forms us into what he wants. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and verse 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And I know Titus was writing thousands of years ago, but I believe it's still the same today. It's the grace of God that saves us, but it's also the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and it's also the grace of God that gives us the power to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in all areas of life. Um, grace and discipline seem to be uh, contradictory terms because grace has taken on this connotation that anything goes, there is no more law, so you can do what you want to do, and and uh, I would say that that's an error in judgment, an error in understanding. I believe that discipline, while it does suggest restraint and rules and regulations, but it also, with grace, seems to mean freedom from any rules. But I believe there is a intertwining or a uh, intersection, if you will, of these two terms. The thinking uh, of grace, meaning you can do anything, and discipline, meaning rules and regulations, uh, reflects a misunderstanding of both terms. And uh, you can see in this passage that we read in Titus, that Titus tells us that the grace of God actually teaches us to say no. The word translated as teach, however, means much more than the usual idea of standing and lecturing and, and sharing in words it originally was used as a term for rearing of children 
of including instruction, rebuke, reproof, admonition, punishment, admonishment in love and benefit for the child. So it goes beyond just here's here's your notes, figure it out. And uh, Paul uses this same word in Ephesians six when he charges father to bring up their children in the training of the Lord. So used in a spiritual sense, discipline includes all instruction, all reproof, all correction, and uh, God-directed hardships in our lives that are aimed at cultivating the spiritual growth and the godly anointing and godly character that's within our new beings, our new creatures. And, And though in the physical realm, children eventually reach adulthood and don't have as much discipline from parents uh, as they become adults in the spiritual realm. We need to have God's discipline until the day that he comes and takes us home to be with him. And uh, we, we need to have that, that grace. And so it's the very same grace that saves us and that also trains us. It, it, it brings us from our wretchedness transforms us and then pushes us into um, a training season, if you will. And I shared a little bit about that on Sunday, but you have to understand tonight that all of God's disciplinary processes are grounded in his grace, unmerited, unconditional favor toward us. And usually we tend to equate discipline with rules and regulations and performance standards. And God equates it with firm but loving care for our souls. And so I'm glad tonight that we have the opportunity to look at this a little bit differently. Um, All of us are raised in a performance-based mindset in the natural world. Um, I remember as a child, you know, you, you can go out and play, you can do whatever you want to do outside after you accomplish getting your room clean. Everything was reward-based, action, reward, action, reward. Actually, it was more demand, action, reward, demand, action. Do this. If you'll do it, then you'll get this. And so our actions are um, based off of um, performance-based concepts. And uh, that works for a little bit. That works to establish a habit. We've shared with you before in our growing up years that we had something we called Christian Habits. And in those Christian habits, it was a piece of paper about that big that had the days of the week, and then it had Bible reading and prayer. And, and then on the bottom of it would have a memory verse. And if you got, if you marked down each one that you prayed every day and that you read your Bible every day and you came back to class the next week with that little scripture memorized, you'd get a gold star. And after a certain amount of gold stars on your chart, uh, you would get a prize. I'm thankful for that. It, it developed a habit of study and prayer. It developed the habit of memorization, but that had nothing to do with relationship. And what it, what it tends to bring out in us is this performance deal. If I pray every day, in fact, we used to sing the song, pray every day and you will grow, grow, grow. Forget to pray, you're going to shrink, shrink, shrink. And uh, so we are raised on a performance-based mindset because That's how we operate in the natural. We are thus performance-oriented by nature, and our culture, our upbringing does that. 
But Paul said it this way, that this very same grace that saves us, God's unmerited favor that, that brought salvation to us, is the first place that disciplines us as well. Disciplines us as well. This means that all of our responses to God's dealings with us and all of the practices of our spiritual habits and disciplines must be based on the knowledge of God's dealing with us in a grace setting. And I'm thankful for that because I don't want to read every day and I don't want to do this every day, but it's his grace that propels me to do so. It means that all of our effort to teach godly living and spiritual maturity to others must be grounded in grace as well. I know that we as humans, oftentimes we, we just want to, we're working with somebody and, and, and they mess up and you're just like, oh, but we have to have the same grace that the Lord had and realize that the discipline and the raising of people and the training of people are grace-based. Salvation and discipline are inseparable. You, you, part of salvation is discipline. And we have to understand what salvation means when I, when I say this. Yes, I believe we're saved in to, to, so that we can be with Jesus for eternity. But part of our salvation is the concept of daily being set free from the strictures of the, the world that's around us. And the only way that we can have that is if we have the discipline of grace to follow his presence. Um, they're inseparable. The grace that brings salvation also disciplines us. It doesn't do one without the other. God never saves anybody, and somebody needs to hear this, God never saves anybody to leave them alone, but he saves them to begin to form them and from their immaturity to take on maturity, from their sinful lifestyle to transform them into a godly uh, being. So whom he saves, he disciplines uh, Paul said it a different way when he wrote to the Philippian church in, in Philippians 1.6. He said it this way, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So the thought is both encouraging and sobering. It's encouraging it because it assures me that in my spiritual growth, it, it's that growth is not left to my own intuition, my own initiative, it's not dependent on my wisdom to know which way to go, which way to turn, how to do it, what to do. And it's not dependent on the things that I can come up with. But rather it is God himself that initiates and oversees our spiritual growth. And it's not to say that we don't have any responsibility in obedience and responding to God. But God's got the plan Sometimes we, we look at the plan of God as getting us from point A to point B to accomplish something. But God's plan is really an all-encompassing all um, sculpture, for lack of workmanship, craftsmanship. He's molding us and forming us day to day by his grace so that in from day to day that we would become exactly what he wants so that in the end day, that we will be exactly what he has created us to be, and that's a process that grace takes us through. God will use other people. God will use your pastor, 
and, and other mature Christians. He'll use agents. He'll use various means. But primarily, I believe that God uses his word and our circumstances to reveal to us the discipline of grace. Um, but he's the one that's taking the responsibility to discipline us. And so as the one who is infinite in wisdom, he knows exactly where to meet us that has the most impact, that gives us the greatest direction, that builds the most faith. And so we need to trust him and obey him. At the same time, this lack of separation between grace and discipline is a sobering truth. Um, you, you think about the vast multitude of people who claim to be born again, but they don't seem to change in any way. They, they, they've experienced a certain aspect of grace, but it's an incomplete experience. They may have repented. They may have come to an altar. They may have prayed a sinner's prayer. They may have even been baptized in his name, but they haven't allowed grace to move them to the next aspect. Uh, for lack of a better analogy, it's kind of like a... Um, uh, oh my goodness, my, my mind just went blank. It was on the tip of my tongue, but but a, a process that goes from one point to the other, uh, like like a vehicle, it gets on the track and they put the tires on here, the axles here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and that's what God does here a little bit, there a little bit. He adds to us and becomes more of what we're supposed to be each and every day. Um. Hebrews 12, 8 says, if you're not disciplined, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's not those who merely make a profession or step through an act or get baptized. It is a assembly line. That's the word that I've been looking for. It's like an assembly line. God builds us piece by piece because if he just speaks it all into existence right away, it would blow our mind, freak us out. We'd have, we'd have all kinds of questions and it would probably overwhelm us to where we couldn't even continue to move. And so little here, little there on an assembly line process, he's molding us and our destiny is not the destination to get to. Our destiny is the assembly line of discipline and forming and, and fixing things along the way. So I want you to know this at this point. We, we cannot pursue holiness or evidence of God's um, discipline to attain salvation. Okay, there's nothing you can do to earn it. And the reason why there's nothing that you can do to earn it is that it's already been paid for. Okay, it's already been done. At the cross, the gospel was established. But God's discipline in our lives and the desire to pursue that separation unto him and that honor to him, that holiness and righteousness is the receiving of God's gift by faith. Martin Luther said it this way one time, and I agree very strongly with it. He said this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. There's always things that God is wanting to continue to move and work in us. There's another truth that we see in this passage in Titus, verses 11 and 12, and that is that discipline that grace administers to us has both a negative and a positive aspect. 
and, and this really shouldn't surprise us when we think of discipline as child rearing. Um, and, and part of the problem with understanding grace is that we only receive the, we, we concentrate on the one side of it. We concentrate on, uh, and so it gives us this misunderstanding, and, and I'll get into that a little bit here in a second. Every responsible parent only not only wants to deal with the misbehavior of the child, but they want to give them tools and instruments to make them better at who they need to be. And so the first thing, grace first teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Say no to ungodliness. Ungodliness is usually equated with wickedness, which is immoral, dishonest, cruel, evil, debased. Read Romans chapter 1, uh, somewhere around verse 17 or 18 as it goes into the end of the chapter. and uh, But ungodliness on its broader sense it is really a basically comprised of a uh, disregard of God or ignoring God, not listening to God, or not taking account of God in our life. And that's so easy for us to do because if God's not the central point of our life, it becomes just another calendar agenda. It just becomes another financial issue. It just becomes something else that we've added to the rest of our life when in all actuality that has to be our life. Praise God. It's a lack of fear or reverence for him. And we mentioned Romans chapter one and it all starts in verse, I think it's 18, says, oh, they, they knew not God, neither were they thankful uh, to him and glorified him not as God. And so uh, in a wider sense, then a person is maybe even highly moral um, and even benevolent, but can still be ungodly because they don't take the things of God with a seriousness to it. You see, when you are born again, we bring the habit of our ungodliness into our new godly being. And we are accustomed to living without regard to God, but there, a, a true conversion then is really putting God at the center of our lives and regarding him in all aspects, whether it be our family life, our career life, our, our neighborhood life, whatever it is, um, the, the, we have to understand that we've been delivered from the dominion of sin uh, and it has no power over us. And so grace gives us the ability then to say no and begin to walk in a godly fashion. Grace also teaches us to say no to worldly passions, that inordinate desire and preoccupations with the things of this life, possessions, hobbies, prestige, pleasure, power. Um, worldly power, if you, if you will, is the opposite of what the apostle Paul urges us in 1 Corinthians when he said, those who use the things of the world should live as not if engrossed in them, for this world is in its present form passing away. We can use the things of this world, our homes, our cars. I'm glad for our homes. I'm glad for the building that we're in. I'm glad for air conditioning and heating. I'm glad for all of that. We can use them, but don't get so engrossed in them. Learn to say no to them. So what does it mean to say no to godliness and, and worldly passions? Well, tonight I want to just basically say that it means 
a decisive break with those attitudes and practices. It's in one sense, it's a decisive break that is a divine act that occurs when we repent, when when we die to the dominion of sin in our life, when we're baptized and we become new creatures. In fact, the tense of all the Greek denotes that the thought of having denied ungodliness and worldly passions was a prior. Those are things that it's partly true. It's partly what we are. But in another sense, we are to work out this breach with sin by putting to death the misdeeds of our bodies. In, in other words, to abstain from, to they war against your soul, so flee from them. And, and that's really what it means to say no. Get away from, if you recognize, we've often said it this way in, in Spirit of Grace Church, there's two real good ways to understand whether or not Jesus is the central focal point of your life. Look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. Where are you spending your resources and where are you spending your time? And if it's not focused on, if it's not Christocentric, if it's not centered on Christ, my challenge to you is to reevaluate and let his grace move you to a Christocentric lifestyle where Jesus is the center point. And you'll know that by where you spend your time and resource. But grace doesn't just teach us to say no. Grace teaches us to say yes. Sometimes we get the impression that Christian life is just thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, don't do this, don't do that. And prohibitions are definitely an important part of our spiritual construct and our spiritual construction zone, if you will. Um, eight of the Ten Commandments are prohibitions, but and we need those prohibitions in our lives, those times where we say no, not just in the Ten Commandments, but in all of our life application. Again, no to this, no to that, so that Jesus becomes the center point of our life. But we should also be directed towards the positive expressions of the Christian character, what the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, all of the teaching that we receive from the Apostle Paul on ethics is characterized by the putting off of the old self, but the putting on of the new self. And this is where we sometimes forget grace. We think grace is the putting off of the old self, by grace we're saved, but the putting on of the new is just as much his grace as it is us trying to figure it out. Um, the putting off and putting on is represented really, if you will, like a, a pair of scissors. Scissors don't cut well unless they have two opposing concepts. And when the two blades of the scissors come against each other, it cuts the paper or whatever you're cutting. And likewise, the putting off and putting on, it cuts away uh, our, our sin, if you will, and separates us, but it also brings to us the new creation of what God has. And we recognize that that we do that. Some believers focus on one of two things we've 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 come into a religious era where you've got some churches on the far uh edge of of things and they are about the putting off and so there's a long list of you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this you need to stay away from this you need to flee this you need to ignore this and then you've got the other extreme that says you don't need, you just do what you want to do because God's grace is sufficient 
And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So you're good to go. You don't need to change. You don't need to uh, alter. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says be transformed. There's a change that has to happen. My suggestion to you tonight is that God is looking for somebody that's right in the middle of the pendulum of putting off and putting on. Yes, we have to put this off, but we also have to put that on. And it comes together in one person. And you can absolutely have the grace emanating from you, both in removing yourself from the things of this world, but also stepping into the things of Christ. In Titus, um, the positive aspect of the Christian is expressed by this phrase, It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. These three words are powerful words. Self-control, upright, and godly. In fact, they're considered by most Bible commentators to refer to actions with regard to ourself, our neighbor, and God. Okay, Self-control expresses the self-restraint that we need to practice towards good, whether that's actions, attitude, language, Uh, whether that's uh, things we get involved in or don't get involved in, um, all those things that self-control, God gives it to us through our grace to manage ourselves. But then he also gives us to walk uprightly, which uh, has to do with dealing with our neighbors. We should be dealing with our fellow humans differently after we've come into his grace than we did before his grace. And to me, the biggest statement with that is when I step into his grace and let his grace transform me, I begin to see people through grace's eyes. And those that I thought were just hopeless are now full of hope. And it's my job to give them that hope. God loves everybody. So we walk upright. And then godliness has to do with regards to God's glory, God's anointing, God's every aspect in our life. And the grace will give us a desire and a love to experience the things of God. We stop taking things of God lightly. We, we stop doing it. I'll just be honest with you. For me, I've got to be in church. I, I know you say, well, you're the pastor. That's your... No, 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 no. Even if I wasn't the pastor, because uh, I haven't always been a pastor and I didn't miss church when I wasn't a pastor either. There, there's, there's something about it I, I am discombobulated when I miss, whether it be from sickness or or I know our family misses. I know one Sunday every year for a family vacation. But when you, when you miss, you're missing the components that God has placed around us, the grace of God. Part of the thing with the body of Christ is I believe that the body of Christ is a manifestation of God's grace to walk into a church where people uh, are all there to worship God together, to support one another. I can look at your smiling face. You can look at mine. There's just nothing like it as God. We're taking the things of God, uh, not lightly. We're, we're, We're receiving them and embracing them, and grace is multiplied. Praise God. Um, it's, we have to remember that grace is the thing that propels us to salvation and it also propels us to being disciplined believers. And uh, as I teach this, it all rests on the bed of grace because you can't do this on your own. 
Okay, if you try to do it on your own, you're doing it in in humanity. You're doing it in human strength, and human strength is always weak. And you're doing it in human ingenuity. And his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. You can't. No, no man knows the the mind of God. You you just can't. It's impossible. And and so I want to challenge you, those of you especially that are newer in the things of God. Understand that all of this, the separating from the world and the, and the, and the delivering into godly things is all done by his grace. So if it's all done by his grace, it lets me know that God is not disappointed when we mess up. He's disappointed when we keep it messed up. When we mess up, we just need to turn back to him. We just need to come back to him and say, I'm sorry and let me and continue to move on me, God. Continue to create in me, Lord. I, I hope that makes sense. I, I fear that too often Christians are beating themselves up for things that they don't do perfect. Listen, there's only been one in the world and in the history of time that's perfect. And you'll never measure up to him until you see him face to face. And when we see him face to face, according to 1 John 3, 2, We'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. But until that day, you're never going to be perfect. You're not always going to have the right attitude. You're not always going to say the right thing. There's going to be stuff that comes out of your mouth that you're ashamed of. Don't allow that to trip you up. Take it to the throne of grace. Take it to the throne of grace. At the, at the throne of grace, you will find unmerited favor that will handle any situation to mold you and to form you because it's the grace that disciplines us. It dis There may be some consequences for our actions. There may be hurt feelings that we have to patch up. There may be uh, things that we have to take care of. But between us and God, it can always be fixed by the grace of God because grace is what saves us and grace is what disciplines us. My prayer for you tonight is that you would just rest in the arms of the master and let his grace be forever sufficient in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one and let the spirit of grace discipline us. Help us to become what you want us to be by the grace of God. Knock off everything that needs to be help to cover our mouths, cover our hearts, cover our eyes and our ears and protect us from the evil that's in this day and age and help us to be pure and holy and righteous in your sight. In your name we pray, amen, amen.